Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. All right. So, man, okay, this episode is something I've been cooking up for uh, quite some time, really thinking about how to kick off 2018 with a bang, with my best jazz, and really do uh, uh, a crazy episode before we jump into it. And in this episode, what's called is 17 Super Motivating Ideas for Massive 2018 Creative Career Growth. And they're all tactics and strategies, things that I've used, ideas, ways of approaching, uh, marketing my work, growing my work, expanding uh, the growth of my career that have uh, have blown my mind at different times and got me real results in my career. And that's what today's episode is going to be about. Before we jump in, few announcements, two announcements virtually. The first one is last week we had a super friends episode, which uh, went down a treat. I know a lot of you guys really appreciated having all these different voices and different uh, perspectives and and different insights on the show. And uh, I'm super appreciative to all the people that took time to record those, um, those tidbits. But 
One of those people was my buddy Tom Froze, and uh, he wanted to give a gift to the Creative Pep Talk listeners, um, uh, and he, and it's his Skillshare class uh, on how to make beautiful maps with uh, digital and analog media, and uh, his his. His Skillshare classes are really popular. He does an amazing job of showing you how to take, you know, ink and drawings and mix them with digital work and make something that's really special. He's giving away this class to Creative Pep Talk listeners. If you want to go check it out, the uh, the link is in the show notes on creativepeptalk.com slash episodes. And it's episode 165 on there. And you can link to his class. And it's available till February 28th, 2018. So thanks for doing that, Tom. Uh, and all the hard work that you put in to uh, share your trade secrets. Um, I'm sure it is really inspiring and helping a lot of budding illustrators. Second announcement real quick is that some of you guys know that just a few weeks ago, I opened a few spots for one-on-one creative pep talk, personal pep talks, um, which are these uh, creative consulting and creative coaching, and uh, they've been you know, flying off the shelves. There's only a few more left. If you're interested in doing that, you better... Get on it. Um, And then the other thing is I also opened up this application for ongoing kind of uh, a more ongoing relationship of this manner. And uh, I expected like, uh, you know, (laughs) when I opened it, I expected like nobody to do that and everybody to just buy a few of the um, one-on-ones. And, you know, a bunch of people did and I've been doing that and it's been going great. But the applications for the ongoing one ended up getting a really overwhelming response. And so it made me freeze up and not know what to do. So I saw the applications. I'm just trying to figure out what the heck to do with all of them. And uh, you will hear from me soon. So sorry for the delay. All right, here is our episode. I love the name Creative Pep Talk. Uh, I, re- I really do. I could get it tattooed on my face. I'm so pumped. I'm jazzed out of my mind about the thing. However, there's just this one little thing that bugs me about it, and I'm okay with it. I've made peace with it. But one thing that bugs me about it is that it sounds like it could be uh, kind of empty motivation, kind of empty positivity with, that's fluffy. Um, Now, I love Creative Pep Talk because I do want to give you a pep talk. I want to give you the kind that really, truly makes a difference. And I want you to leave the episode different than when you started it. I want you to uh, start it feeling one way and leave feeling a different way. And ultimately, my number one goal is to change your emotional state from the beginning of the show to the ending of the show. Um, to starting the show wherever you are, to leaving the show jazzed out of your mind, 100% jazzed. And, uh, <laughs> and I actually made a pen that uh, is going on sale this week called 100% Jazzed because that is the goal of the show is to get you feeling that way, to get you feeling hopeful and excited and believing that your efforts are going to make a difference. 
Now, there's another layer. That's the top layer of creative pep talk, but underneath that, the bedrock and the foundation of ped, uh, <laughs> the foundation of creative pep talk is that the way that I believe that you truly have hope is sound strategy, real ideas, real tactics, real business principles, mindset principles, creative principles that work. Not just ideas that make you feel good, but I think ultimately, long term, the only, I always believe this right from the beginning of starting the show, that the only way that this was really going to sustainably get people 100% jazzed was if they listened to the show, they heard strategies that caused them to believe that their work would would pay off and then go do the strategies and it and actually pay off and just build upon that integrity so that those strategies that when they hit them through the show would lead to belief that would lead to work that would lead to uh, a, a payoff and it would just compound with interest and so the one thing i don't like about the name pep talk is that it could seem a little bit fluffy um, on the surface because I am, I do get really jazzy. I get really excited about the show and I, I do love to speak in hyperbole. That's the way that I am. Uh, but, and so in that way it's accurate to the brand, but at the underneath it all, I want real strategies that are game changers for your creative career. And, and, and actually I think that a lot of you think that you're lazy, you think that you lack initiative, you think Andy is this crazy, busybody, type A guy who's just making tons of stuff all the time, he's got three kids, he's paying the bills, he's got a mortgage, he's got illustration career, he's got a podcast and blah, blah, all this kind of jazz, making books, all this stuff, but it all, none of, I'm not naturally not lazy. That's true, I'm just like you, and I have been, but the difference is, is that as I've implemented strategies, as I found strategies that raised my faith that the work I was gonna do was gonna pay off, my motivation built and my drive would build. Last week, uh, one of my super friends, Marshall Shorts, talked about that, that you know, ancient biblical times principle that uh, your work is in direct proportion to your faith. And it works uh, just out in the real world. Like if you, believe that the time you spend is going to make a difference, you will do it. But I think so many of you think you're lazy and think you're not motivated and think you've got, you know, don't have it all together because, not because uh, you're lazy, but because you don't have faith that your efforts are going to pay off. So you start a project and halfway through you're thinking, what's even the point? This is probably not going to lead to anything anyway. And because of that, you slowly but surely lose your drive. You lose your motivation. And so on this episode, I want to bring strategies that have worked for me, that have changed, that when I heard them, got me psyched out of my mind, jazzed 100%, and 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 then turned into real results to where I kept going back to them and they keep me believing that my efforts are gonna pay off and when I have that faith, I will get to work. 
And that's what this is all about. If you can embrace these things, this can change your 2018 and your motivation and your drive for 2018. And I think the other thing that's important to note on this is that the other reason why we, we lack the drive because we lack the strategy is because so many of us as creative people are imbalanced towards creativity away from business. Now, if you have a giant trust fund, you have all your bills paid for the rest of your life, and the only thing that concerns you is expressing yourself creatively, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but you're listening to the po wrong podcast. Because this podcast is about creative fulfillment balanced with financially thriving, thriving in your career. And I do not think that they're mutually exclusive. In fact, I think the sweet spot, the overlap in that Venn diagram is the sweetest place to be for a creative person. And at, at, at the very least, that's where I love to be. I feel like um, so many of you, if your work was in demand, you wouldn't care if it was acoustic or electric. You wouldn't care if it was analog or digital. You would, you, would, you would be willing to make certain sacrifices about the process of what you make or, or certain elements of your creativity if people were really getting something from your work, right? And, and if you imbalance either side of that, you're gonna get into trouble. And so this episode is about embracing business and creative career strategies that work and that will increase the belief that you have that your work will pay off so that your drive goes through the roof and you spend 2018 100% jazzed. Let's get started on number one. All right, number one, this is, I put it number one because it's probably the biggest game changer in my creative career. It is the thing that has guided me through, uh, and I was doing it before I realized I was doing it, but it is, it is the thing that I owe to getting as close to that sweet spot between creative fulfillment and financially financial thriving um, as anything else in my career. And I, I'm going to call it number one, guest, guess, test pivot and it's basically treating your creative career like a science experiment finding that sweet spot treating that as the cure that you're looking for as a scientist and i think it's incredibly important to balance two things it's incredibly important to to balance uh committing long enough to get real data but then once you have real data, having open hands enough to pivot when necessary. And you see this in business, you see this in science, okay? In business, the best, the companies that are worth the most money these days, look at Facebook. Facebook started off as a college dating site. Like pretty much every major, uh, you know, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, Twitter, all these the massive businesses started off as something completely different to what they're doing now. And I think because they embodied this principle of guessing, testing, and pivot, meaning you guess that you should have this kind of style, uh, this kind of genre in music, uh, this 
this market of uh, design, you guess, that's your best next guess, then you test it with personal work, personal projects for six months to two years and you really, really give it a go. Because if you're a scientist and you say, hey, I think that uh, this venom of a snake cures brain cancer which sounds crazy but I think they do test things like this uh, and and you give it you test one person and they don't have brain cancer anymore like no one in the scientific community will publish a paper that says that this is the cure because your sample size is way too small and a lot of creative people want to do one Instagram post one song on uh, SoundCloud and say put it out there test it see if it goes viral and if it doesn't move on to the next thing those are the people that need to go uh, to make a to have a bigger test size you need to commit to, instead of just one post, commit to six months. You know, really, really make your best estimated guess of what's what to do next. Maybe do some experiments, but ultimately at some point you got to commit to a longer season, collect the data, but then after you do, there's this other thing that happens and a bunch of other people get caught up on this where they get so obsessed, they've, they've went so deep to convince that they, you know, sometimes you have to convince yourself so uh, to such a degree, if you're gonna if you're gonna you know run one direction for six months or two years, uh, that does take some real convincing of that this really could possibly work out or be the right direction. Um, but that conviction that you get from that can sometimes cause you to be blinded and romantic about the road that you're on when you've collected enough data and it's clearly not curing the cancer. It's not the sweet spot. And uh, at that point, you have to be willing to pivot. And the amount of pivots that I've had in my career are insane. I've, you know, uh, starting out, I wanted to be a designer, then I wanted to be a rapper, and then I wanted to be a character designer, and then I thought I would be, uh, I don't know, I'm not gonna go on and on, but probably like 15 different things. And uh, I think you've got to be willing to commit for the short term uh, for a decent enough sample size and then pivot when necessary. Number two, I put number two on here because uh, I don't hear, I don't see enough of you taking this seriously and I'm angry. I almost nearly swore about it. I'm so angry. I'm <laughs> not really angry. I'm not that angry of a guy. But I am like, come on guys, what are you, what are you doing? Number two is content marketing. Now you can call this personal projects, whatever, but the core is it's self-initiated work that you're making where you're giving away value to your customers and, it, and the value should be the same value that you want to get hired for. So whatever reason someone might hire you to do an illustration for a magazine or to do a song for a commercial or to do a, a logo for a business, whatever val what is the real value of that? Why are they paying you? If there's no real value, you don't have a business. You're like in a weird bubble. But what's the, if there is an actual value, figure it out and then do self-initiated work to give that value away for free and essentially see the online community, the online world, the World Wide Web as a giant mall food court. And I'll tell you who's going to win. It's the guy giving away bites of chicken teriyaki. Like the whole business model of 
uh, chicken teriyaki being sold in every mall in the country is on the back of these little pieces of uh, chicken on a stick. And uh, the whole idea is free value. Give it a taste. Let them taste it. And they will trade their attention. And that means doing personal projects. It means uh, writing articles and illustrating them, giving them away, giving away value, helping them learn something, helping them feel something, uh, and, and doing it in a way that is predictable so they can rely on it through their channels, whether that's Instagram, on your blog, uh, Twitter, what, whatever it is. But giving away free value that people really want, that prove you can do it in uh, to trade for their attention. And I did a whole episode on content marketing a few weeks ago on the marketing series. Go check that out. And this is what I want to say. This is why I put it on the list. If you don't have a content marketing strategy, well, let's just say you're like, Andy, we've heard it before. We've heard you talk about content marketing a billion times. I get it. Do you get it? Do you have a content marketing strategy? If you don't, you don't get it because I really believe there aren't many things you can do to change your creative career, to get in the game, to really market yourself successfully if you're not doing this because I think it's the it's the number one channel um, for growth. But it, it's not overnight stuff. It's something that's going to require uh, some putting in work, a little bit of work over time. And if you can really convince yourself that that, if you can have the faith that that work is going to pay off, you will be willing to slowly but surely invest in this direction. All right, number three, reverse engineer your role. We talked about this in number two. We talked about how you need to take, you need to reverse engineer the value that you want to get paid for and give a little sample of it. Give a little sliver of that chicken out to the general public so people know they can rely on you for it so they can taste it first and uh man this might be the point that i'm most excited about because i i thought about it more and i had a little bit of a even more of a breakthrough but this idea in reverse engineer the role you want to get and make personal work make content marketing about that show people that that's what you do you'll be blown away how many creative careers have this to have this uh, to to uh, I, I lost a word. This is how so, what I'm trying to say is this is how so many uh, creatives build a consistently thriving creative career. Let's look at Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon was. Uh, I feel like he's been in trouble lately, but we'll put that aside just for the point because this strategy works regardless of his his personal beef. Uh, but but back in the day, he wanted to um, to to get these leading roles in movies, and uh, nobody would. He couldn't win a part, and so instead of waiting around for someone to see his true potential, to see what it would look like. Uh, to, for him to star in a movie, he figured out his own raw potential and then wrote the movie that proved it with Goodwill Hunting. And the thing is, it's so extreme. It's not just even a leading man. It goes further than that. The more specific, the more truly you can capture the value that you're trying to deliver, the more consistent uh, the work will be in the future. Go look at his 
go look at his back catalog. I guarantee, even more than I'm going to mention here, over and over and over, he plays the guy that's underestimated. In Goodwill Hunting, he writes this role who, he has this look about him that's very unassuming. He could be your average Joe, but he ends up being a genius. And then in uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, he looks like this innocent person that could just be totally harmless and can totally fake that, only to find out that there's some serious garbage going on under the surface and you totally underestimated him. He's the lead guy that you underestimate. Go look at Jason Bourne. He's a guy you look, ah, that's an average Joe, and then he's like, bah, 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 and your neck is split open. That's, that's really graphic, sorry. But that's Jason Bourne, the unassuming dude, the unassuming lead person, the informant. Here's a guy who, they're like, I can't believe this bumbling buffoon is uh, being an FBI informant and bringing this company down, only to find out that he was embezzling money. So they were even underestimating him there. I'm telling you, he wrote the role, his perfect role that proved his potential, proved his value. And so what you've got to do is go look at the job that you want. The thing that you, you and this takes a lot of time because you've got to look at yourself and think, what is my real value? Uh, and I love Judd Apatow. This is going to be a long episode, man. Woo! Goodness gracious, but it's going to be gravy. Uh, it's it's going to be a good one. Um Judd Apatow, uh, what I, man, I love this and I wish I had a Judd Apatow. I try to be Judd Apatow for other people when we're doing these one-on-one -on -one calls and, and what he does, and I'm so uh, blown away for, about this, he's the Hagrid of other Harry Potters where he comes along and says, you're a wizard and they didn't know it. And he says, this is the, this is the house at Hogwarts that we're going to put you in, meaning uh, <laughs> that he goes around and he finds these talents and he doesn't just say, hey, Steve Carell, you're someone who could carry a movie even though nobody else sees it. He doesn't just say that. He says, we don't know what it looks like to have a Steve Carell front and center movie. And I don't know the exact timeline about this, but I remember seeing Steve Carell on Bruce Almighty and seeing him on Anchorman and thinking, this guy is like a hilarious side guy. And I couldn't ever imagine like him carrying an entire movie, like being the main character. And then they go and write 40-Year-Old Virgin. And it, the whole idea of it is to capture the true potential of a leading role for Steve Carell. What would it look like? And then he goes on to, to play a very similar type of person as Michael Scott for year after year after year, probably in my favorite role of all time as the leading dude. And now he's like the superstar. But it required Judd Apatow reverse engineering. What would it look like to, for him to be the lead uh, person? And then Steve Carell and Judd Apatow wrote that movie together. And they proved it. And it went on to him being the superstar. That's what I'm asking you to do. Nobody else. You're probably not going to have a Judd Apatow that stops and says, what is your real gift? What is your true potential? What would it look like for you to star in the role that you want to star in? And then go out there and prove it by making that stuff all on your own. This, one, this next one's really simple. I don't know where I heard this, and I apologize. If you know where this comes from, I actually think that this probably comes from a billion different sources. It's not ultra uh, original, but I heard it randomly on some weird marketing video. 
and and uh, and and I have no idea where it came from. But here it is. Number four is I will call it ransom note. They were way more graphic in the way they described it. I don't want to scare you or put weird images in your mind, but let's just assume you have a ransom note that has dire uh, implications, and it's an ultimatum. And they say this year or in the next two months, we need you to double your creative career growth. What would you do? If real serious things were on the line and you had to act in your own, you had to make your own wave instead of waiting for it to come to you, what five things would you do that could somehow push things further? It's a simple one, but as a thought experiment, it was really powerful for me. And I thought of a bunch of things I could do right now to, uh, to grow my career in ways that I never really thought of. If everything was on the line, if I had to figure something out, what could get you more clients? What could get you that record deal? What, what are the things you could do that, um, that are maybe more extreme than you've ever thought? But uh, if, every, if things were on the line for real, you would do them. All right, this is Creative Career Growth on the side of creativity. Uh, creativity, I don't know why I said it that way. And number five is, Andy, we don't have time for these sidebars, these weird ways of saying words. We don't have sidebar, we don't have time for sidebars about sidebars. Get on with the list. I know what you're thinking. Number five is uh, one thing you need to work on feedback is what I'm calling it. Not very catchy, but it, does what it says on the 10. I heard writer Donald Miller suggest this once and I've used it ever since. It's super powerful and I'm obsessed with it. And I used it back in, let's say 2012. I wrote some of my favorite illustrators and I said, not only would you give me some feedback on my portfolio, but what I said was what he told me to say. He didn't tell me, but he told lots of people. It was his advice, Donald Miller. He said, don't just ask for feedback, ask for feedback but also say, I'd love to know one thing that you think I need to work on. Because if you ask for feedback, people are gonna say, looks great, yeah, I like how you're doing this thing. But if you say, is there one thing that I could work on? And actually, when I did that, I got some of the best advice from people uh, in the industry, some of my heroes, that totally changed. They, they said, hey, um, this was 2011. They're like, you did this massive character project. You did all these characters, 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 and you have no backgrounds and no environments. And so I just started working on that. And I had other people that told me a bunch of other stuff, but it's so powerful, really simple. All right, number six, deep, not wide. You've heard me uh, talk about the thousand true fans. It's a Kevin Kelly concept. And he talks about this idea that we used to think back in the, mass market factory days, you had to be the U2, who's this giant phenomenal success, <clears throat> you know, having half the world as a fan at that time, uh, or the Beatles or whatever. But the fact of the matter is the segments of our market have so dramatically changed and the tools have been democratized and we can, we can survive, we can thrive. We don't need, with, without uh, 50 million fans or whatever, I'm bad with numbers. I don't know how many fans these people have. Uh, but, but we don't need millions and millions of fans. Literally, if you have a thousand diehard crazy fans that will pay you just a hundred bucks a year, that's a hundred thousand dollars and it's, uh, and it's a decent salary for anybody. And here's my point, cause I've talked about it on the show before, but I want to add something. 
I think that when it comes to making your own waves, rather than going with the flow, which is what strategy is all about, it's about what can you do in your power? What ideas, tactics, and, and efforts can you do in your own power that can change, that can stack the deck in your favor? And when it comes to that, I actually think when, when you're making your creative work, you really don't have that much power to determine how wide your art spreads. You know, you maximizing for virality, <clears throat> you know, going viral, which, man, I just can't stand it because every I have so many amazing things going on in my creative career and pretty much zero have anything to do with going viral. And, uh, and I think going viral is great if it happens to you and you happen to win that lottery. Great. Uh, don't say no to it. I'm sure there's good things that happen from it, but I feel like so much in our culture uh, and in the creative culture, we're so obsessed and we think that the ultimate metric is going viral and it's just so wrong. Like going viral might be the worst thing that ever happens to you. Um, I don't remember where I heard this, but uh, I heard about um, this guy who won the lottery and you'd think he won the biggest lottery of all time and it totally wrecked his life. Not just like bad decisions, but everybody in the world knew. Part of the thing about the lottery, you have to publish who wins it. And everybody, all these people in the country knew who won it. He was getting millions of uh, requests for money. People were following him. All kinds of crazy stuff happened from winning the lottery. And going viral, maybe that could happen to you. Like, like it's not the be end all end all. And I think actually, and the reason I really don't like it is because I don't, I think, in the same way that you cannot plan on winning the lottery, you cannot plan on going viral. And I think it's a waste of your time and energy. I don't think you can plan to go wide. But I do think you can maximize your work for depth. I think you have power to create work that resonates deeply with your core audience. Like you might not know what millions of people want, but you could make work that your five buddies, your five friends uh, think is amazing. You know you can make that stuff that's really going to do it for your three friends. And if it really tickles their fancy, I can guarantee there are more people out there just like that and they might just be your true fans. And I would just say this even, that a thousand true fans, the ultimate goal of that, you know, $100,000 salary, like even that isn't really the ultimate goal. I think if you have a thousand supercharged followers that are passionate about what you do, I would say that uh, probably Malcolm Gladwell, uh, who wrote the book, uh, The Tipping Point, would agree that it all starts with a mustard seed of crazy passionate followers. And so that thousand true fans, that going deep in the short term can actually turn into explosive, widespread uh, knowledge and passion for your work. And so I would tell you, think about how to deeply touch and, and move a small group of people and, uh, and, and the rest will take care of itself. All right, <clears throat> seven. Number seven is measure. Measure anything. Measure something. I heard Tim Ferriss say it that way. Measure anything. Measure something. Just measure because you can't manage what you don't measure. That's not a quote from me. I don't know who said it. I, I don't even know if it's any particular person. I'm very obsessed with, you know, attributing the, the, the right things. Like my ideas, I try to, you know, those are my ideas. But if I, if I feel like they come from anywhere, I try to attribute it to the right people. I don't remember. I don't think... 
any sole person is responsible for this, but it's just true. What gets measured gets managed. And I didn't even realize that uh, that was like a scientific practice for changing habits. And, and I just knew from personal experience that the number one thing that totally changed my ability to have discipline and consistency in my weight loss practice, because uh, I've been dieting for three years um, <laughs> and maintaining the weight that I'm at. Um, the, the deal breaker was consistently measuring my weight. And the thing that it did was, if I measured it and that day I was higher than I should have been, that would motivate me to buckle down. I'd be like, all right, well, you got to tighten up some of those, you know, when you're taking a bite off your kid's plate when they leave some food, you got to tighten up those things. No extra chicken tender bites. Uh, no, you know, don't just taste three desserts like you're, you're, you know, expending way more calories than you think. Tighten that up because you're not making your goal. And then you measure it and you're actually losing weight. That's even more motivating because you're like, yeah, it's working. And then your faith increases and the work increases and it's all cyclical. But you can't have any of that action if you refuse to measure. Measure anything. Measure likes, measure comments, measure money, measure amount of clients, measure whatever it is, whatever metric you want, whatever one does it for you, whichever tickles your fancy. A lot of tickling of fancies on this episode today. But whatever tickles your fancy to measure, measure. Measure something. Number eight, group show. All right. I think context is everything within creativity. Uh, I think if you put a Rothko painting, uh, I don't know anything about painting, by the way. So I'm going to say something that's probably offensive, and I probably just don't know what I'm talking about. But to me, if you take a Rothko painting, which looks like a red square with some details, I don't, please don't send me angry emails, abstract artists that love Rothko. You take it and you put it in MoMA, it looks amazing. It looks gorgeous. You put it in the Modern uh, Museum of Modern Art in, in New York City, and you're like, wow, that is just incredible with this white space and the ceiling. Just I just am immersed in this very, it feels important. It, this artwork feels intellectual. But if you take that painting and you put it in my kid's third grade class, you're like, good job. Maybe next time draw something. Maybe put something. Have you thought about putting something in the picture? <laughs> like, and <laughs> all right, I know this is the least sophisticated uh, arti- uh, uh, artist critique of all time, but my point is that context is everything for creativity. And one of the ways you control your context is by going and uh, curating and cultivating some kind of group show, some kind of group activity, whether it's a zine or a book or a project or a, uh, a, a an actual group show or a compilation, a playlist, and you get all of those um, players to come together for a consolidated effort it's good for them it's good for you uh, if you want to do you know if you want to do a zine you can do it for charity so you're not work you're not asking people for free work which I frown upon and others do as well um, but you can you can do a cause you can actually go make a difference and do a creative career strategy and they don't negate each other just because you're getting something from it doesn't mean that it's not good for the charity or for the people that you're helping and so but what I would say is you know, that there's strength in numbers. There's a, you know, the rising tide lifts all the ships in the bay. 
And so if you can, uh, and I would suggest, don't even, don't think about it like you have to go out there and get all of your heroes to do this book with you. Although if you could do that, it does have a positive impact. Uh, but if you, you don't have to do that. For the longest time, you know, my creative pep talk book, I have a lot of my heroes in there uh, and I have a lot of my friends in there. But back in the day when I was making um, little zines in 2008 and we were doing collaborative zines or um we did a, I did the Indie Rock poster book, which included a bunch of different artists. That was for charity. Um, a lot of those people were just my friends in similar places with promising futures. And by our powers combined, it elevated the context, it, ma it made it more legitimate, and it got it out to more people. So uh, here's the thing. The reason I leave this on the list and the reason I put it on there is because I don't see enough people doing this. You got to get over the fear of rejection and the fear of looking like you're uncool or doing something wrong or whatever it is. But so many people I'll suggest, you know what, this idea, this, this idea that you have right here for this project, it would be perfect to include other people. And you can just see the fear in their eyes. There's just certain people like, oh no, I couldn't ask anybody to be part of my thing. I would just be the, what if they didn't reply to my email? Like, that's the worst thing that could probably happen. As long as you're not out there soliciting free work to make money on, I think you'll be okay. But go out there and go get in a context with other people that are doing other things that will elevate your context. Okay, man, let's get going because we're this episode is jam packed. <laughs> the I found it sounds like a weird infomercial. This episode of my creative pop talk, creative pop tart. Oh my gosh, I'm having too much fun. I'm sorry. Here it is. We'll just skip the infomercial reenactment. We'll go straight to number nine. Uh, number nine is find the incentive. Let me tell you something right now. My kids are cleaning the house like like. Gangbusters, baby. I'm telling you what, these kids, <laughs> they're cleaning like maniacs and they never used to until we figured out this, okay? They got a, they got the Nintendo Switch for, commer for, for commercial. I just called Christmas commercial. That is so messed up on so many levels. <laughs> anyway, they got Nintendo Switch for Christmas. They got uh, another screen. They got some uh, fancy new games and man, they're wanting to play. Uh, screen time and here's what we figured out if we let them earn screen time by doing chores they will be the best cleaners the, like we don't even we never need to hire a cleaner with these kids but sounds so ridiculous I'm not just telling them to clean up their own messes I'm not getting you know it's not like child labor uh, it's just getting them to clean the room clean the playroom that kind of jazz and I'll tell you what having the right incentive completely unlocked motivation the likes of which I never thought would be seen in this household and uh, the same is true for you when I'm in a rut and I cannot seem to have the discipline or the motivation to make self-initiated work to push the river to, to make my own waves when I'm in that place and I just feel apathetic about all of my efforts I do this mental trick and I say Andy listen mister if you if you uh, if you if got if you got up uh, like an hour or two early this morning, 
to do some self-initiated stuff. And I allowed you to do whatever you wanted. It doesn't have to be the perfect strategy. It doesn't have to be whatever it is, but just make something. You can do anything. You can make something just for Instagram. You can do something, uh, something funny for your friends. It can be a comic, whatever it is. Anything you want, buddy. The only thing is that you got to get up an hour or two early, or you got to stay up an hour or two late and make it happen. And, and I just give myself that freedom and I just say, is there anything that you are excited about making? that will get you to put in some extra time. And when, I, when I'm really stuck, that thing, that little thing of really getting in touch with the incentive of like, what is the thing that I can get you out of bed to do? Or what is the goal? Is there anything that you're so, you'd be so excited about achieving that you'd start putting in time and you stop and ask yourself and get really connected because sometimes your incentive, the thing, you know, I've heard people uh, say, I have illustrator friends. Um, I've heard them talk about how uh, uh, they'll use getting up for a bathroom break or a snack break as incentive, like just weird things. It doesn't matter. But if you can get into your actual psychology and don't judge it, don't judge yourself for whatever is getting you out of bed in the morning, but just figure it out. What's the thing that's going to pump you out of your mind, get you 100% jazzed so you can get up and get on with it? Number 10, change your money mindset. Here's a little math on the podcast, so you should be afraid because I am the worst at math. Uh, <laughs> $500 a day versus $600 a day, not a giant leap if you're you know, charging as a freelancer, if you can figure out how to increase your rate just a little bit, $500 a day is a $125,000 uh, salary. $600 a day is $150,000. That's $25,000 difference for you non-mathletes out there. And uh, just little tweaks in your money, if you can elevate a little bit, can be game changers. One of the big tweaks that you should make, and I don't have any, this isn't a uh, sponsored thing, um, although I have done f work with FreshBooks in the past. Um, the FreshBooks founder wrote this little free book. You can download it for free. It's called, what's it called? It's called Breaking the Time Barrier. And it's about value-based pricing. And not only is it great for freelancers that want to uh, do value-based pricing, it's a great, really short fun, easy to understand read, strategic book that will help you understand why you need to charge what you need to charge, how you need to structure how you get paid to have to build an actual thriving career, one that, you know, one where you're not penny pinching and, and working yourself to the bone. It has a lot of really practical ideas and strategies that explain to you why you need to charge the way that you do and help you explain to clients uh, the same thing. And uh, I would suggest getting that book, but ultimately working on your money mindset. Another little thing in that way, you know, I've heard this story a billion times, but it's totally true that, um, you know, at one point Picasso was charging this money for portraits or something, what have you. And he was charging, you know, a hundred bucks or something for the, I have no idea what the actual numbers are. He's charging a hundred bucks for like a five minute portrait. And the dude's like, hundred bucks. This only took you five minutes. And he's like, no, it took me an entire lifetime 
to know how to draw that five minute drawing, right? And it's just a microcosm of all of us. Like you have to be willing to charge what you're worth. And you know, especially if you went to college for this thing, if you went training for this, the amount of money and time invested in doing what you do, you've got to have the right uh, self-worth. It's a game changer for this year. All right, number 11, passive income. Passive income so you can kick back in a hammock on a beach in, in uh, where, where, what places have beaches? Hawaii, that's safe. I, I was gonna show my lack of geography, <laughs> geography knowledge. Uh, I know it's geography, please don't send me an email. Uh, no, I'm not saying passive income so that you can spend, you know, you can retire at age 27. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is get out of your mind that you're going to earn your salary on passive income and kick back. I'm not saying that. I don't, I think that that is, if you're like a super genius who's like a type A person that can somehow build this business and then sell it and move on or whatever, whatever, you're probably not listening to this podcast. But if you're just a regular creative person, uh, here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you. How could you earn your uh, gas and electric bill passively? What products, services, subscriptions, uh, what things could you make that you could set them up and then scale how much money you make on them and that can create a margin uh, a cushion for the rest of your income because what ends up happening to a lot of creatives is that their work gets directly tied to the amount of time that they spend and you're going to hit this ceiling where you can't spend any more time and you have to sacrifice your life and everybody around you to earn more money, to thrive. But if you can just create little things products, services, subscriptions, whatever it is, if you can create anything that can create cash flow, all cash is not created equally. Big, heavy chunks that come in sporadically are not equal in value to selling, uh, you know, $250 worth of prints every month or, or songs every month. If you can get those little cushions that tick over every month, they will change your game. And they will give you the kind of uh, cushion you need to be at your best creatively. And I think you need to get started now. It's a thing where it's just like, you know, that whole weird savings thing where like, if you put $5, if you put $5 in a savings bond in 1972, it'd be worth $3 trillion today. So, you know, (laughs) these stories all the time. It's kind of like that. Like I started making products like, uh, like screen prints and jazz, like in 2011, probably. And only now, you know, however many years that is later, seven years later, it's starting to be something that's kind of a, a difference maker on the regular. And uh, I would just challenge you, your future self will be glad that you have a few bits of little passive income that create margin, that don't leave all the pressure on you spending time doing your thing uh, and everything wrapped up with how much time you're spending today on your thing. So start thinking about ways that you can invest in passive income. 
If you can get 50 people to sign up for $5 a month on some random zine service where they get a new zine every every two months or something, uh, that's 250 bucks a month, right? That, that's, that's a few bills that you don't have to worry about. Uh, and it get that, gets that cash flow flowing. So you're never just waiting on some giant check. Um, number 12, other industries. Get inspiration from other industries. Take strategies, steal strategies from other industries. Like, you know, 50% of my strategies come from uh, the marketing uh, industry and come from growing up in the church world. Look, I hate to break it to you, and it's one of the reasons a lot of people got a lot of beef with, uh, with the church world, is that the church world is insanely good at marketing. Maybe the best. Man, I could say some things that would get me into trouble, but man, I'm not going to say them. All right? I'm not going to say them. It's just, just, just realize that... Um, that <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm, I'm putting myself... Let me just say, the church world, they got a lot of marketing. And marketing is only bad if you use it for bad things. Uh, if you use it for great things, marketing is the the best tool in your belt. Uh, and if you're out there trying to give your creativity to the world, you need good marketing and you need good tactics and strategies. So what are the other, you know, you might be into UFC, you might be into uh, sports as a whole, those kinds of things. What tactics and strategies, you know, what do they do on their podcast? What other, uh, what do they offer? What are the subscription services and all of that stuff that's all ripe to take and inject into your creative market? And I've done that with all kinds of things. And it can be a game changer because it's a disruption because a lot of people, it, it takes work to reinvent something and, and, and translate it into your industry. It's not something where you can just take a tactic and just uh, copy and paste it. It takes some work and some creative thinking. But if you can do it successfully, you can really disrupt your industry. Disruption. I said disruption. I said pivoting. I said passive income. This is buzzword crazy. We must be doing the right stuff. I have this part of me that is... Having this knee-jerk, the creative part of me is having this knee-jerk reaction to this very practical, strategic, tactical episode, businessy episode, and I want to bring it back with some cosmic weirdness. I just want you to, you know, I'm giving you so much stuff. Basically, I really want to overflow the cup with crazy, jazzed, supercharged motivation that you just leave this episode feel like feeling like the Hulk, where you can just like right through a, a creative wall and have a that kind of breakthrough like the, like the Kool-Aid guy like that's what I'm trying to do but the other thing I want you to do don't be overwhelmed by all these tactics you don't have to do all 17 of these that's a lot I've done most of these maybe all of these personally but spread out over like a 10 year time and I tried them at different times when they were appropriate here's my cosmic weirdness I just want to throw your way um Feel it out, man. Which one of these do you need? Which wh- which of these 17, as I'm going through, I'm not done yet, uh, but this is just kind of your cosmic break uh, from all the technical business jazz. We'll do the cosmic break and say, which of these things, you just go through the list, 
make a few notes, maybe take two or three that when you heard them, your heart just sang and test those out in the next couple weeks to next couple months and make, um, make them your top strategies for the year and just feel it out with your intuition, if you will. All right, number 13, exploit your supply. Here's the thing you probably already know. I never shut up. I have so much stuff to say. Can you believe that I record hours and hours and hours of myself? For three years, I recorded myself for like an hour every week, and I still have so much more to say. If you meet me in person, I will not shut up. I will just keep talking. I try to be a good listener. I'm working on being a good listener. Uh, I try, and I feel like I'm, I'm above average at listening, not amazing. Um, I'm still working on it, but I never shut up. It's a supply. My, I have so many ideas and thoughts and, and things I want to express and communicate and illustrate with words and pictures that, uh, that I just never shut up. And it's a supply that I have on an infinite tap. And the podcast was a way of exploiting this ridiculous supply. And so here's what I want to say. And the other thing I have is uh, I'm getting, I've gotten into the Enneagram personality test a little bit. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm an Enneagram 7. Um, and uh, the Enneagram 7 doesn't like when people are in pain because they're they're uh, empathic so I can feel your pain when any of my kids are sick I'm sick when any of my kids are hurting I'm hurting when any just regular people on the street are hurting I'm hurting part of the reason why I have creative pep talk was as I became more successful in my illustration career it pained me to know that there were people that wanted the same thing and were not getting it and I could hardly enjoy my own success knowing other people weren't being successful you know friends and family and whoever so I have this obsession with uh, helping other people feel better to make myself feel better because I feel their feelings. And uh, that led to realizing that the thing that makes people feel better is strategies that work. So real stuff, not just fluff. And that's where I became obsessed with strategy. Um, but I have a crazy amount of never-ending strategies and time to spend helping other people feel better. And, uh, and those are my supplies. And I exploited them with this podcast. I took these things that are on tap and I just hooked them up to the fountain drink thing. And now they're just on an infinite refills for anybody. And, uh, and I've exploited myself uh, for the benefit of my creative career. And I'm asking you, even if you can't see right away, like these things, nonstop talking and, and being an empath uh, don't necessarily obviously translate to uh, creative career growth around my illustration work. But, so it's going to take a little creativity, but, but I want you to be honest with yourself. Even outside of your creativity, what are the things that you have on infinite supply, and how can you use those to be a competitive advantage? Number 14, and that, by the way, I'll just say this. That's also the Forrest Gump tactic where I say, if you have this crazy tolerance where you could just run forever in this one area, if you will just run one direction for years and years, things will happen. People will be like, why is that guy running? Like, you can be doing the most mundane thing ever. If you do it a million times, people are like, they, they, I don't know what, I don't know, chewed this piece of gum a million times. Whatever it is, doesn't have to be special, but if you can just do it infinitely, it can be a competitive advantage. And, uh, and you should think about that. Okay. 14, skin in the game. 
People don't risk it on people that aren't risking anything. And it's this idea that here's what I've noticed. When you go to conferences, when you go to, uh, when you go to these networking doodads, you know, there, there are always people that have, have not invested that much. They haven't even risked spending that much time on their work, on their craft. They haven't even risked, they haven't risked any money. They haven't invested anything in their, in their career. Uh, and they're just putting, barely dipping their toes in the water, hoping that somehow the fairy godmother is going to show up and just bless them to infinity and, and make them uh, king, of, king or queen of the creative world. And those people don't get any time from other people in an industry because they're, if they're not willing to risk a little bit of their time, to possibly waste a little bit of their investment, nobody else wants to waste their investment on them. You don't, a, a client doesn't want to take a chance on someone who has not been willing to invest in their craft. And uh, if you want to be invested in, you need to invest. So that means in whatever you've got, whether you've got time, whether you've got money, whatever it is, if you want to have a game-changing year, you've got to start investing things in your career, whether that's classes, conferences, time, uh, connections, putting your social life at risk by going to you know, networking events where you're meeting people and feeling awkward. Let's just pause there for a minute. Do you know creative people? Have you met a creative person? Like 99% of your heroes are going to be just as awkward or more awkward when you come talk to them and they're going to leave feeling like, ugh, I was so awkward. Do you know how awkward creative people are? Have you been to these things? I have. Like I usually don't even feel awkward or I hadn't really thought of myself that way until I until I was a creative person at, at these creative networking things and now I'm like man I'm the most awkward person in the world it's just awkward the situation you get over it you're like all right we're gonna be awkward for a little bit but eventually we'll get into the swing of it you've got to risk it you've got to invest something if you want people to invest in you this year you've got to invest in it first you've got to put your money in before they're gonna put their I don't know how to play poker but it seems like you put money in they put money in it's kind of like that but it can be time money social risk you know being brave courageous, put something on the table, skin in the game. <sighs> All right. Number 15, we're getting towards the end. It's been a long journey together. This is, uh, this is one of the most special episodes of the podcast. I wanted to make it, I wanted to invest. I want to put some skin in the game on this episode to start 2018 right. And uh, man, it's a journey and I'm excited about these last ones. So buckle up, take a breather. Let's just take a minute. We'll just settle down for a second before we jump in. If this was a conference or something, we might stand up. Everybody stand up. That does something for you. All right. So take, yeah, maybe even just stand up unless you're in the car. That'd be weird. That could be dangerous trying to stand up. Anyway, number 15, don't chase trends. Join a movement. I think uh, whether you should chase trends you know, not chase trends, whatever the advice in your little niche is, however people feel about trends, whether they think they're the best thing ever, the worst thing ever, they get a lot of play. What doesn't get a lot of play, I don't hear anybody talking about this besides me, is movements. Movements in creativity. You look back in the 70s, 70s design, 
to the naked eye, to the layman, the top designers of that day, no regular person could really tell their work apart. With exception, but generally, they were all part of individual movements of the time. And uh, I love being part of a movement. I love being part of um, something that's happening, that's exciting, that, it, that has not just a trend. A trend is a thing that, that, that starts and ends in, in a matter of weeks or months or at max a year. A movement is something that has weight that lasts for a while, that there's a, there's a community and a culture and there's an excitement and there's momentum. That's why they call it a movement. If you want to have momentum in 2018, jump into the river of a movement. Now, what I mean is like drawing owls, that was like a, that was like a weird trend in, 20, in 2008. But gig posters was a movement. Gig posters was around for 10 or 15 years thriving. And, the, and, and all the people that got, that really put their stake in that movement, even after it passed, are reaping the blessings after it's long gone. You could think about chasing a trend is like hearing thunder and trying to catch the lightning. If you don't know, sound travels like six seconds slower than lightning. And every time, by the time a trend hits you and you're like, I think this is a trend, that's the thunder, baby. The lightning has struck. It is a waste of time trying to catch that thing. But joining a movement is like a settlement that has set up camp on fertile ground where there are, there's lots of, there's a surplus to be had in that movement. And I'll just tell you this right now, if you're wondering, you know, you have a movement can be a market, like a, a market stream, like a way that you can earn money, like a type of, um, you know, whether that's kids books or whatever it is, or it could be a style, it could be virtually anything, but it's basically any place in your industry where people have set up camp because there's fertile um, kind of uh, continual surplus being had in that area. And if you're asking yourself, um, if you're a creative person, I'll probably go on to say that you're probably early in the chain of um, adoption of new things. So like when when a new movement is forming, you're probably closer to the start. Now the thing is that everybody around you, if you're friends with all these creatives, they go through this movement faster than everybody, right? So like People that there were people in like 2008 to you know 2007 like oh my gosh gig posters I can't believe you like gig posters if you're in that little creative bubble uh, but the the world didn't even get creative you know the the mainstream didn't even start buying them until like 2011 whatever the real timeline is don't judge me I don't know but here's my litmus test of whether you're like, I don't know if this movement's about to be over. I don't know if it's all cashed out, but I don't know if I should do it. I'll tell you this. If your cousin Ricky, the car salesman, doesn't know about it, jump in because it hasn't hit the mainstream and you'd be blown away by the things that will reach uh, critical mass. And and if it hasn't, if, if... old cousin Ricky doesn't know about it, jump in. There's still, there's still stuff to be had and, and it's a great place to, uh, to go. Now don't join a movement 
unless it's authentic. It should be something that let it let, be led by your excitement and curiosity in a new thing that means something to you. You know, when indie music back in college, to me, indie music really meant something. Now, it, you know, it became detached and ironic and, you know, seven layers of uh, irony and, 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 you know, self-loathing about liking anything countercultural, blah, 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 blah. Back then, it was authentic and it meant something, and that's why I wanted to be part of that, and that's why I made the Indie Rock Coloring Book. Um, so I'm not telling you to join a movement inauthentically. What I'm saying is have the courage to go join the movement because there's all this BS surrounding joining a movement. You know, it's not original. It's, uh, you know, oh, you're playing to the audience. You're like, whatever. Can you imagine telling a business? You're, if you want to be a business, can you imagine going into a business meeting and, and so, you know, you're an investor and they're like, we're thinking, uh, you know, the audience really wants this. And uh, so we're thinking about changing. Can you imagine the investor being like, well, don't do that. Do not do what your audience wants. Do not do what your audience needs. Do not do what they're willing to pay for. Heck no. Are you crazy? I'm giving you the courage. Like, enjoy it. Enjoy being part of something in the time that it's happening. There's not much that's more enjoyable to me about creativity than really being of the moment in a movement surrounded by people that are excited about what I'm excited about um, and learning from each other. Uh, I'm not talking about copying. I'm talking about, uh, you know, learning from each other's breakthroughs. Momentum. Don't chase trends, join a movement. All right, 16. We're almost done. 16, spread the love. This is an idea. Uh, I I used it early on in my career a lot. And again, this is a win-win. I believe that in order to win, someone else does not have to lose. Uh, you can actually go around spreading the love, knowing that it's going to be good for them and it's going to be good for you, and it doesn't have to negate it. Uh, it's And it's got to be real love. And here's what I mean. Maybe you want to do 100 good deeds, kind of like a My Name is Earl. Uh, is that what that show's called, where he's doing the karma thing? He's trying to, like, right his wrongs by doing, you know, undoing... Um, all the bad things that he did, but this is just putting good stuff into the world. Maybe you want to write 25 lovely, genuine emails to people that, or in companies that you think are doing amazing things with no ask, 25 genuine, thoughtful comments on people's posts, 10 posts sharing your personal breakthroughs, giving away some of your secrets, 10 postcards and letters. Are we doing a hundred yet? I don't know how many things I said, but, but. Essentially, I'm calling it hashtag CPT spread the love. Hashtag CPT spread the love if you want to join. You can take pictures and post about the things that you're doing to spread the love in your industry. And I will tell you something. You, so many people, have, so many of you are willing to, to send an email to ask from, f- for something and think that that's somehow more... Uh, Because it's more transparent, you think that that's better, but actually, if you will go with no strings attached and just go around sending emails and encouragements and blessing other people with your presence and enthusiasm and share when you see something that looks incredible, say, hey, I think this is incredible and here's why, just so you have some extra feedback to add into your data. Um, If you will do that, it will come back to you. And that my challenge is for 2018, 100 good deeds, get on that train, go show me some of the stuff you're doing, hashtag CPT, spread the love. Last one, baby. We made it to the end. 17. 
17 is read strategy books. My goodness, like you don't have to sit around waiting for uh, brilliant pattern recognition. Is that that a word? Recognizing patterns yourself and, and unearthing these strategies all on your own. You know, I do a lot of that, but I also do a lot of just reading books. And some of the ones that I th- have found to be game changers, uh, you've heard me talk about some of these on the podcast, some of them are new. The Dip by Seth Godin, talks about when to know when to quit and when to know when to press on and a lot of ways to think about that. Really, really good book. Finish by John Acuff, just finished that one up. Just finished the book, finished, or finished, because I'm a finisher. Um, Tons of good strategies in there. He also had a book back in the day called Quitter, about quitting your job, like um, going into your passion and, and quitting your job. Really, really good stuff in that book. All kinds of good strategies. I'm just starting to read Growth Hacker Marketing by, which sounds really marketing-y, but it's it's just really super good. It's just basically how marketing has changed in 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 the current landscape and uh, using all these different strategies for hacking your growth. I hate the word hacking, but whatever. It's, so far, it's been really good. It's by uh, Ryan Holiday. And then I'm losing my voice from this episode. Jab, 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 right hook by uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. He go. This is not um, fluff. This book is hard hitting, like analysis of content marketing. So if you if you took my advice at the beginning of this episode that said content marketing, content marketing, and you're like, I don't know what it means. I don't know what to do. How do I give away free value? What does it look like? Go get that book. It will tell you. Uh, you don't even have to read the whole thing. There's, you know, you can read, pick and choose things that are relevant to you based on the platforms that you want to use. And there's all kinds of really important uh, tips and tricks in that strategy book. Go check it out. All right. I know. I think I said something at the beginning of this episode, and I meant to say it the way I said it. That I said that strategy. Uh, is, you know, the major factor in any creative career success that I've had. It's maybe the number one determining factor is is having um, strategies for growing my creative career. But the thing is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's a placebo uh, in a way. I don't know if having these strategies work or if having these strategies increase my faith that the work is that I put into it is going to work and actually just making tons of work and doing tons of stuff ends up somehow working despite the strategies not actually being good. I have no idea. It's this weird cyclical faith in works thing that just kind of works over and over. I, you know, I get the strategies, it increases my faith. I do the work and it just happens over and over again. And so I don't know if it's strategy or if it's what the strategies do for my belief in my efforts, but this, but it works and it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, it's the game changer for me. And so if you're looking for discipline, if you're looking for motivation, if you're looking for drive, find some of these strategies that light your torch and tickle your fancy and get you 100% jazzed and roll with it. Because as in the words of Michael Scott, stealing the words of Wayne Gretzky, you miss 100% of the, I don't know why I can't say percent. It doesn't roll off my tongue for some weird reason. You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. 
and and in 10 years that I've been doing this creative career stuff, I'm definitely using these strategies and these strategies, I mess with these strategies more times than I make it. But just like investors, like investors that kill it and crush it and are the people that invested in Twitter and YouTube and Hulu and who knew, I don't know, all these different things, they don't win very often. But their wins carry them on to play again and they make up for the losses. And if you're sat on the sidelines studying the game, thinking if I held my angle and doing these calculations in your notebook, you know, with your glasses on the end of your nose and saying, if I just, if I carried the one with the hypotenuse of the right angle of my arm and got my form perfected as I lift my hand above, like, shut up, get in the game, take a few shots, quit trying to find the perfect, you know, uh, (laughs) the perfect form with your equations. Get shooting. Don't worry about which of these strategies, which of these strategies is actually the one that's going to change everything. None of them. None of them are going to change everything. Get some of them going, and some of them will turn into something, and you can turn that to something else. But if you just keep taking shots, and you keep moving, and you keep the faith up so the work stays up, I can tell you this. Look, man, I don't have it all figured out. You listen to the show. You like the stuff that I say. Some of it really works. Some of it's really worked for me. But who knows? I don't know which one's going to work for you. All I know is you need to find some that feel good to you, that get you to make some work and get you to get some data so that you can go through and go back to step one, make some good guesses, test it out, And then when you get the data, pivot to the next right road. And if you do that, I think in the next couple years, things are going to get interesting for you. So let's do it. All right. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can go uh, make beautiful digital analog inky... uh, (laughs) Maps with Tom Froze for free until February 28th. The link to that Skillshare class will be in my uh, show notes on creativepeptalk.com slash episodes. Okay, thanks for listening. If you love Creative Pep Talk and it's had an impact on your creative career, there are a few different ways you can support the show. You can review the show on iTunes. That makes a massive difference in who gets to see the show. You can back the podcast financially. You can be one of the producers of the show on patreon.com slash creative pep talk. Or you can get some creative pep talk merch and get something from it. You know, give a little, take a little. That's totally fine. Go to creativepeptalk.com slash shop. Uh, and we got all kinds of weird goodies and we launched some new ones. If you want to show that you are 100% jazz, we have a new enamel pens up in the shop uh, that I'm really excited about and a few other pens and, and jazz up there as well, metaphorically speaking. You can get access to the first 100 episodes of the show and stay up to date when new shows drop by signing up to the newsletter on creativepeptalk.com. Thank you. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and the band Metavari for all the other tunes. Well, all of them except for the tunes provided by my man, Alex Sugg, who who is responsible for making this thing sound so good with his editing, producing skills. Um, Thank you, Alex, and thanks to all of you guys again. 
It's been a doozy. I hope this episode changes your year. And I mean that. Uh, And until next week, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.